This episode contains major plot spoilers for Scream 4 and the entire Scream franchise. Hey everybody, this is Ryan from GeekCast Live, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. Did you pick a movie? Yeah. We're gonna go scary. Saw 4. Ugh, I saw that in theaters. It sucks. It's not scary. It's gross. I hate all that torture porn shit. How do you really feel? Well, I like Jigsaw. I think he kills people very creatively. But you don't give a shit who dies because there's no character development. There's just body parts ripping and blood spewing. Well, who do you keep texting? I have a Facebook stalker. He keeps leaving me messages. Yeah, like what? Just stuff like, hey, what's up? You're hot. I want to kill you. I'll delete him. I did, but he hacked his way back in. Hello? The more impatient version of the person you just spoke to. Who's this? This is the last person you're ever gonna see alive. Ah! What? That was so stupid. The death of horror right here in front of us. I jumped. It scared me. A Facebook killer? You're kidding me, right? I guess now it would be Twitter that make more sense. A bunch of articulate teens sit around and deconstruct horror movies until Ghostface kills them one by one. It's been done to death. The whole self-aware, postmodern. Stick a fork in 1996 already. I like the stab movies. They're scarier. It's not aliens or zombies or little Asian ghost girls. There's something real about a guy with a knife who just snaps. It could really happen. I can't do it. These sequels don't know when to stop. Even the opening scene, there's always some random girl who gets a call that undoubtedly ends up getting her killed. It's all so predictable. There's no element of surprise. You can see everything coming. Did that surprise you? Oh my god, I love it. I've seen it five times and it still gets me every time. You're kidding. I don't get it. And welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a weekly show that's released every Friday, and this is episode 67. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, how's it going, Jay? <laughs> it's good, buddy. Thanks for being here, you guys. And we're happy to report that a little bit later in this very episode, we will be joined again by Dr. Walking Dead as well. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. At this point, we're going to move into our feature review of Scream 4. This, you film your entire high school experience and what, post it on the net? Everybody will be doing it someday, Sid. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the one component the killer is missing. Wait, what do you mean? Well, if you want to be the new, new version, the killer should be filming the murders. It's like the natural next step in a psycho-slasher innovation. I mean, you film them all real-time, and then before you get caught, you upload them into cyberspace. Making your art as immortal as you. Not Not to implicate him. So who do you think is behind the murders? Well, it's a stab fanatic, clearly. 
working on less of a shriekwell and, and more of a scream make. Copyrighted terms, by the way. Because all there are now are remakes. Only horror of the studio's green light. I mean, there are still rules, but the rules have changed. The unexpected is the new cliche. Yeah, you gotta have an opening sequence that blows the doors off, dial up some flashy music video direction, and the kill's gotta be way more extreme. Modern audiences get savvy to the rules of the originals, so the reversals become the new standard. In fact, the only surefire way to survive a modern horror movie? You pretty much have to be gay. So why are you so sure that the killer's working by the rules of a horror remake? Well, the original stab structure is pretty apparent. Yeah, two kids killed in a house when their parents are away. And then the school's hot chick savaged beyond recognition. We all know where it goes from there. A party. Exactly. A party. Guaranteed third act main cast bloodbath. Fingers crossed on some nudity for a change. <laughs> okay, so it's ten years after the events of Scream 3, and... Sydney Prescott, who we last saw fully liberated from her tormentors, returns to Woodsboro for a book tour. And she's written uh, a book about her experiences called Out of Darkness, I believe is what it was called. Yes. And um, she's going to go to this book signing in Woodsboro and a, and a reading of her of her material. But unfortunately, once Sydney comes back to town, it triggers – a reawakening of uh, another masked copycat ghost face killer and uh, comes out of the woodwork in Woodsboro and wreaks havoc upon the people of this picturesque North California town. So it starts out with this really scary movie <laughs> style opening. <laughs> it's a movie within a movie within a movie. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's stab six and stab seven are what start off scream four. Now, can we have just a little moment of um, truth, a little moment of just being open and honest with one another? Real talk. <laughs> okay, this is real talk. Let's be sincere. Uh, I think we're all fans of this franchise, clearly. When you first saw this, I know I saw this in theaters. I saw it on opening day. When you saw this in theaters and it kept doing this this thing <laughs> where it's like, oh, that's the, you know, you know, they kept getting you, kept getting you over and over and over. How did you feel about that? Were you excited, happy, or were you starting to roll your eyes? Because the only reason I asked Josh is because I remember in our reviews of two and three, you started saying, ah, it's, it's they're, they're crossing the line for me. And even yeah. though I think it's super clever and it's, you know, kind of funny, it's like, Okay, I see what you did there. Yeah, that's clever. And but it's almost like too much for me, crossing the line. You know, I just get I'm torn when I watch them because I can always have fun in a scream movie. And I remember my screening of Scream 4. Everyone in the theater was having a blast. There weren't very many people in the theater, but the few <laughs> of us that were there were having a blast. But at the same time, my soul is aching because I want something memorable. I want something lasting. I believe that the first Scream film is one for the ages. It's one of the great American horror films. And I just want a taste of that greatness again. And Scream 4 is not that. And from the very opening of the film, it just feels a little cheap. It feels a little – I don't like – you know, and this is a problem I have with the stab – the inclusion of the stab movies in general, I just feel like it cheapens it. It's funny, but I don't want it to be that funny. You know, the first Scream film is dead serious. You get to Scream 2 and you cut to those parodic scenes of Scream of Stab, and they're funny. Like, it's really funny to see Luke Wilson playing Billy 
and being goofy and Tori Spelling and all these things that, you know, that poke fun at the original in a really funny parody sort of way. It I, That's enjoyable to me, but also instantly sad, saddens me because I want this film, these films to take the subject matter as seriously as the first film did. And the Phil's first film, as you've mentioned, is a horror comedy, but it still takes the world that it takes place in seriously. It's not poking fun at the circumstances that these characters are finding themselves in. And for these characters to be dealt with in this way, was really disheartening for me at the beginning of step four. Mm-hmm. With you, Dr. Shock, what do you say? You know, it's funny. It didn't, it didn't bother me that much. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of had fun with it. You know, I, I kind of liked that, uh, that sort of double opening. I thought it was interesting that, that the fake movie within the fake movie mentioned a real movie and mm-hmm. saw four, right? you know, which, yeah. which sort of threw, uh, threw you for a loop at first. You're thinking, okay, well, this is the start of the movie here. And then when they went to that, and then like, as soon as, um, well, as soon as they went, you know, in the second one, they go to, um, you know, there's some happening. These two girls are talking and then one of them just sort of, Attacks the other, Kristen so Bell, you kind yeah. of know, yeah. So you kind of know at that point, okay, this is this is sort of another fake opening here. They wouldn't get into it quite that quickly with, uh, especially with revealing the killer. Uh, who yeah, it's weird because be. so the first two actresses are, for me, lesser known. I know that they're teen me bop or kind of well known people, right? But for me, the second people, are, you know, Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell. Now it feels like we're in. Drew Barrymore territory. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now right. these are recognizable actresses. Right. Now what's going to happen? Right. Yeah. And then we go another step through the looking glass. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and then it comes up stab seven. So, I mean, I, I, I personally, I didn't, I didn't have as, I didn't have a problem with that. I did kind of have fun with that, with that opening. Uh, I, I had fun too, where... but I just, some sad yeah well the thing the thing is i gotta give this opening credit for one thing in the 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 Kristen bell anna paquin sequence there um that is i i know it's nighttime when this is being filmed but the all the lights are on in the house right and that is in essence horror in the daylight and i wish that had been a real scene because actually if you watch that like a real scene instead of it being like some kind of funny spoofy thing that is extremely disturbing because she gets annoyed with her friend and then the, the, the stabbing happens. And then as her friend sits there beside her dead, she's just going to commence with watching this horror movie. And that's extremely unsettling. Like when I revisited it this time and I started thinking about that, it kind of weirded me out a little bit. I kind of got cold chills thinking about that. And I don't want to kill your cold chills, but let's also think about what Anna Paquin's saying before she gets stabbed. She's mocking the stab films and in essence is the critic of the scream film saying, okay, maybe it was fresh in the original film, but now all of this postmodern self-reflexive stuff is overdone. It's crap. We don't need it anymore. It's a new era. This is ridiculous that we're still talking about this stuff. Right. And she is the critic of, of the stab films. She was in stab. 
she got stabbed. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it just, I don't know. It's just a little too on the nose for me. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. The, the fact that it refers to what's happening exactly as it is happening, <laughs> like is, uh, well, there's something cool about that, but there's also, it's just too much. It's like, it was overdone. cool in the first film. It just, to me, and this is a problem I'm going to have with this entire movie, just to get this out of the way. It feels really desperate. Like, it feels really desperate to try to be relevant. Where the first film was relevant. It was ahead of the curve. This is now so far, it's been copied so much. We've passed this period of time in filmmaking. It feels like it's just struggling and scraping to, you know, to hold on to a last thread of relevance. And it's sad to me because what the first film did was it showed us the rules and it broke all the rules. And... This movie, what it does is it retells you basically the rules and then like this should be breaking all of the rules of the Scream franchise. If they're going to be talking about torture porn, let's see it. Like, let's see something new. Let's see something that's commenting on the drudge that is horror of present day, just like Scream was commenting on the problems with horror at the time that it was made. It just doesn't do anything new. It just retreads the same ground. Now, part of that is because of the storytelling device that they decide to go with here, which is someone's trying to do a reboot or someone's trying to do a remake. And so now the idea is these new characters are trying to basically recreate what happened in the first Scream film, or in their case, the first Stab film. And it goes so far as to the characters are even wearing similar wardrobe. I don't know if you guys noticed this, mm-hmm. but the, the Randy-type kid, although there are three of them in this movie, so it's a little bit hard to track. But the one who is most Randy-like, the kid that wears the mounted camera on his head the whole time, he is literally wearing the exact same wardrobe that Randy wears at the end of Scream. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Huh. Well, and and I wanted to get your theory on this, Josh, because I know you've thought about these movies a lot. I know that initially Kevin Williamson was writing on this, which I know helped um, to bring Wes Craven on board with the project. But then Williamson had to leave the production early. And I guess it was, the well, what my research says is due to contractual obligations. And then they brought in yeah. Aaron Kruger, from Scream 3. Scream 3 is Aaron and, and he started doing the rewrites. Well, my first question is, if Williamson did 1 and 2, and I would argue did very well, of course, with 1, and I even kind of liked 2. I think I like 2 more than most people do. But why? first of all, why would there need to be rewrites? Well, I don't think Williamson finished the script, is my understanding, um, initially. True. Um, he had his television series called The Vampire Diaries at that time, and he was, con- like you say, he was contractually obligated to work on that first. Um, it was in first position, as they say in the business. And so he had to f- fulfill his contract of Vampire Diaries, which opened it up you know, for another writer to come in, which Wes Craven was against. Aaron Kruger, of course, yeah, was the penner of Scream 3. And apparently, I didn't know this, but Wes Craven has said this in interviews, is a really good personal friend of Bob Weinstein. Mm. And so Weinstein brings his buddy Aaron Kruger in to basically deliver his notes into the screenplay. And Wes Craven, at some points um, during post-production, distanced himself from the film and said, this is no longer my movie. I don't have control over the script. And so I can deliver what I can from that. But since I have no input at this point on the screenplay, I can only deliver what I can deliver. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah this the, isn't my movie, basically? Yeah, the quote I have from Craven is, uh, quote, Look, there was a bumpy period when things shifted over from Kevin to Aaron. I signed up to do a script by Kevin, and unfortunately, that didn't go all the way through the shooting, but it certainly is Kevin's script and concept and characters and themes. And it was reported, they say here, that the actors were not given the 140-page script past page 75 to protect the identity of the Ghostface killer for, from the yeah. actors. But. And they were changing the script all the time. Like They were changing it, which is common for the Scream films, but they changed uh, – they were making things up on the fly all the time, and the ending was the big thing. They did a bunch of reshoots to do the ending – Courtney Cox's schedule was such that they had to shoot all of her stuff before they even know, knew exactly what the ending of the movie was going to be. Um, and so her scenes are really kind of cut and pasted together. They were just trying to get as much screen time out of her as they could when they had her. And her character, I think, suffers majorly in this film for it, yeah. um, which is sad because she has an interesting arc. I think, but it just isn't fleshed out very well. I don't know. You like the writer's block thing. Cause I, I don't like the writer's block thing, but okay. I do like that she's stuck in the small town and now 10 years out is maybe having regrets that she isn't in her old job, you know, that she, yeah, I don't like that her and Dewey are so divided because I think at the end of scream three, we really see them come together. Then I would have let, you know, she is aching to kind of be involved in the detection. And I think it would have been awesome to see them as like a detective duo in this film. Um, but anyway, the movie ends in this great spot for a sequel. So we know Kevin Williamson, when he pitched Scream 4, pitched Scream 4, 5, and 6, much as he did when he pitched Scream 1, he pitched 1, 2, and 3. And he knew where this was going to go for 4, 5, and 6. And I think there's a ending that is now a false ending um, that is pretty compelling stuff. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but it's, you know, two characters laying on the floor next to each other. Mm-hmm. And if you were uh-huh. going to do more sequels, that would be a really awesome place to end the movie yeah, and not know what happens next. Um, but I think that it was getting away from them. And I think Bob Weinstein was, you know, they all, of course, wanted this to be a big success because this was one of the things that really got Miramax and Dimension going. Not only did they build an extremely successful franchise with Scream off of this, but frankly, they also built an entire comedy franchise with the scary movie movies. They built arguably the I Know You Did Last Summer movies and all of Kevin Williamson's other stuff that he did for them off of the success of Scream. Even Halloween H2O was prompted by Jamie Lee Curtis seeing Scream and saying, I want this guy to reboot Halloween with me in it. So Scream had been a big cash cow for the Weinsteins and Dimension in particular. And I think there was a lot writing on this idea that Scream 4 could revitalize the franchise. We brought in these hot young actors. Again, they went with TV actors primarily um, or lesser known actors, but who were still quality young actors that they thought maybe we can ride this out. And I think they panic set in when the movie wasn't turning out well, when things were going bad on set behind the scenes. It seems to me like Bob Weinstein got scared, dug his heels in, brought his friend on to write it and tried to take over control of the film to try to salvage something and ultimately give you an, give us an ending that kills interest in more scream movies. In my opinion, he's infamous for that. You know, the Weinsteins, I mean, if, uh, I don't know if this audience has heard it. I've, I've talked about a lot of movie podcasts weekly, but with what happened with fanboys, yeah, and, and that film, I mean, that, I mean, that story is incredible, but basically 
the nutshell, and I'm talking the real nutshell is, you know, you have these studio guys who, like Josh has just said, there's a lot riding on it, and um, they get nervous, and they lose confidence in the material, and then they start doing all these testing, and they start rewriting and, like, shifting things around. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, basically, and a lot of people are salting the soup, and then it... It doesn't well, they did that home. to Mimic. That's supposedly what killed uh, the film Mimic. You know, that was a, um, not Benicio, but help me out here. The other Del Toro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Guillermo. Guillermo Del Toro film. Yeah. And you know, Harvey, uh, who is nicknamed Harvey Scissorhands. Right. Uh, in business. <laughs> for, um, for a good reason, too. Like, yeah, was really instrumental in that movie becoming crappy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> really fighting with Guillermo del Toro on his vision for that film. And, um, the only chance that that film had of even slightly surviving is that Tarantino was on set because he was dating, uh, the lead actress. And he said, no, like Harvey, trust this guy. He's good, you know, but it's still, you know, the movie did not, did not succeed. Huh. And um, and largely because of the Weinstein's interference, I believe. But um, I believe it. And too. so it sounds to me like Scream Four was another victim of of these guys. I will say in their defense, they also really support the artists that they trust. You know, they're the reason that Tarantino has a film career, and all of these right. guys like Robert Rodriguez can quit the Directors Guild without worrying about repercussion, is because he knows that the Weinstein's are going to give him work for the rest of his life. So, yeah, I mean they they do. There are good projects that come from that, but I just think it's um, really upsetting when it's one of your films. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. mean, we want we wanted a good screen for, and I don't think this film's terrible. I mean, there it's not like that, but it's just it's just too much, too much of a good thing. It's. I think it's terrible. I mean, you, I you think I, it's terrible? Again, again, I had fun while I was watching it. It's the worst of the Scream films, in my opinion. It's the lowest point of the franchise, including the television show, which we'll get to in a minute. I think, um, yeah, I think it's a pity because it feels really, just to use the word again, it feels really desperate to me. It's not breaking new ground. It's not breaking all the rules the way the first film did. It's just repeating itself, rehashing itself. And it's not saying it has nothing fresh or new to say about horror the way those first couple films did. And it's, I don't know. It just makes me sad. And I, part of that is what I would like to refer to as screams killer problem. Yeah. And, and I am glad you said that because that's where I wanted to go next too. but go ahead and introduce it since you brought it up. Cause I think there is definitely a killer problem. Okay. So this is a problem with all whodunits. Let me start out by saying that I love whodunits. I prefer them to most slashers. You know, the first Friday the 13th, you know, My Bloody Valentine, uh, Halloween, Scream. These are movies that are based around kind of a mysterious killer. I love that aspect of them. Um, but all of those other films I mentioned shifted when they went on to their second film. You know, Halloween shifts after the first film. Friday the 13th shifts after their first film um, because the film's – and, you know, as we talked about when we were talking about uh, those franchises and 80s slashers kind of in general, in the 80s, those movies became about the killers. They abandoned the kids and they started telling the stories of these killers. Well, Scream doesn't do that. Scream stuck with the kids. 
And I think that was part of what was revolutionary about it and why it was so meaningful is because it had real characters and it said, okay, let's give some weight to these characters and care about them again. So we care when they're killed. The problem is though, when you try to do sequels with that, your killer is dead. They had very clear and specific motives Mm -hmm. that we want our monster to come back and we want him to have the same voice and the same costume. And already it doesn't make sense from the word go. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. The copycat thing. I mean, how many times can you use that? It's so weak. And they try to, they work so hard as we talked about with Scream 2 and 3 to try to come up with reasons that these killers could be related. And it just gets so tenuous. It starts feeling to me like Halloween 5 and 6. Like it just starts feeling like there's no connection for me with what this franchise is about. Why are these people following Sydney? Leave her alone. Like you, you have this is not, you know, and it should have nothing to do with Sydney. And they keep coming after her, and it, it's and it's like relatives that are like miffed. And I mean, yeah. honestly, like we get frustrated with our relatives, but how often do you want to kill your relatives? I mean, like really kill them. I mean, and how many relatives has she had that wanted to kill her? Now, I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. And Josh, to add what you're saying. Because we focused on the characters and we basically kept the same main cast. Kept them alive. Through all these films. So you keep your characters that you care about alive. And then the killer goes each time is gone. I mean, that is that is structurally like just a a very uh, precarious place for a horror film to be. I mean, the reason we love. Yeah. Works great for the first movie, but it's not good for sequels. Exactly. And like Friday the 13th, I mean, we always have Jason coming back and Michael Myers coming back. And no, this is not a supernatural killer in this, but um, there needs to be some some kind of solution because in here... Well, it needs to be a supernatural killer if they're going to keep doing it because it doesn't make sense. Like what they're trying to make work doesn't make sense. And the series is so grounded in reality. That's their whole goal is to ground it in this postmodern reality that we wouldn't buy it if it was supernatural. We wouldn't buy it if Ghost Face came back from the dead. It would go against the entire principle of the film. You know, it would feel like it would fly in the face of the logic of the that the film has set up. And so uh, I, I think the killer problem in scream is the biggest problem the franchise has yeah. in making good sequels. And that's why I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about with this television series, because it just, it gets a chance to wipe the slate clean and start over. And it doesn't have to have that problem anymore. Right. And uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that is dealing with, a killer who isn't present day. So with Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker, these are our archetypes for Ghostface, right? Mm-hmm. And they are present day in Scream 1. Well, in the Scream television series, that killer is an ancient killer. It's not ancient, I guess. It's a mythological killer. So the people who would take on that identity from the word go on that are reaching back to say, I am going to take on the face of this mythical killer. Mm-hmm. And that makes more sense because they're re- it's not tied to the motivations of these characters from the first film that we've already established. It doesn't yeah. have to be part of the same world that led Sydney to be, be in danger in the first film. And that is a huge problem is getting Sydney in peril 
again and again and again. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree. We're absolutely on the same page with this. Absolutely. Dr. Shock, what do you have to say about all this? See, uh, I came at this from a different angle, and I had, a, I had a blast watching this movie. I really did. I had fun with it. I mean, they established in the second movie what it was going to be, that there were going to be new killers. They were going to be Ghostface. They were going to be going after Sydney. And I don't know why in Scream 4 we would expect something different after we had gotten that in Scream 2 and 3. I mean, the one had said, you know, one sort of is on its own, and I agree with you on that. I wasn't expecting, I, I mean, what, what were you expecting them to do? I think 10 years later, it's just tired. I think 10 years later, after Scream 3, Scream 3, as Randy says, it's constructed as a trilogy. It's not intended to go on beyond Scream 3. Uh Um, I don't... Go ahead. Sorry. And, I mean, the fact that it is Scream that we're talking about, this very smart, insightful franchise, and the fact that they're still relying on the same thing again, I mean, that's also a little bit surprising. So are you putting Scream, you're saying Scream is smarter than Friday the 13th, who always got Jason back somehow, after killing him at the end of every movie? I feel like this is a trap. somehow. (laughs) I feel like I'll say it. Let me say it. I think it's absolutely smarter than all of the 80s slashers. Okay. I mean, would you say, I mean, all three of them? You think one, two, and three? Because honestly, I think it's diminishing returns. I think it's diminishing returns each time. But but at least it was capped off. I think Sydney's story was told when she leaves the gate open. That's it. Like, it's over. She conquered her fears, she faced the killer. She went into the belly of the beast and she emerged alive. And that's that's the end of Sydney's story. And so it feels really drug out to then bring her back yet again. Now I'll say I like what they did with Sydney's character. And if this is the Halloween resurrection of the Scream franchise, which is not a good comparison for most people, <laughs> but if you're just here to kill off Laurie Strode in the first, you know, act and then proceed with these new young kids, I'm actually okay with that. Kill Sydney then. But I don't want to end this movie. Spoilers. I know we're in him, but spoiler alert for everybody. I want to end this movie with Sydney and Gail and Dewey standing there again, totally fine. Yeah. And we've killed off all every one of the new characters we've introduced. Who cares now? I don't care. I don't care. Uh, yeah. So over these characters at this point. And it it just, it just seems false. Um, you know, if someone was after Sydney, someone was really wanting to torment Sydney, her gate at her house was wide open. They could have just walked into her house and butchered her. They didn't need to wait for her to come back on a book tour to Woodsboro. Right. It seems a little inauthentic to me. Okay. I mean, but that is what happens. I mean, that is what they set up in the first three movies. I mean, if you look at all the other franchises, whenever they deviated from what it is they did, people they got found upset. Sydney I mean, home. They know, found Sydney at her apartment. They came in through a bedroom window. They found her when she went to college. They found her at her new house that lived, was up in the mountains. And suddenly they're going to just wait 10 years for her to come back to town on, on a book tour? Well, in this case, <laughs> the people the people who were putting this together happened to be in that town. Yeah. Well, again, that and they were, and they were, and problem. they were of an age where perhaps they would not have been able to get to her. Yeah. Where she was. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at Halloween three, that deviated from it, uh, deviated from Halloween. People were like, hey, what are you doing? We're getting Halloween without Michael Myers. 
Friday the 13th Part 5, they say, okay, well, we'll give you a killer back. Yeah, but now it's somebody different. We don't want that. And I don't want to go into too many spoilers with that. I think we already did that when we covered the series. We'll get into Nightmare on Elm Street 2, that they gave us the same killer, but they changed his conditions. All of a sudden now, it's not the dream world. It's the real world. People didn't like that. I don't know. I don't, and you know, and again, it seems, I'm not... It's a strange defense to try to make. I understand that. But I did not go into Scream 4 expecting them to do something revolutionary and to do something different after seeing Scream 1 through 3. For me, it was just sort of a reunion of these characters. You're getting getting the same thing. You're getting the fun feel that you had gotten. You're getting that, uh, as they say all throughout the movie, the meta, you know, of, of, of how they're approaching the movies. They're looking at it. Now, I agree with you that they could have done something a little more with what, where movies were at that point with the torture porn, which was big. I don't know. I, by 2011, yeah, I think it was still around and it was still big and hard. Oh, yeah, they definitely. could have done a little something with that. I'm not going to disagree with, with that. I don't Paranormal think activity. As, yeah, I, they didn't go as deeply into. I mean, they I, maybe they did with like the good guy with the recording everything, you know, but they didn't really do a found footage thing, you know, that which they could have done at that point. So I'm not going to disagree with you on that. But I don't know. I was not going into it expecting them to reinvent horror again like they did with the first screen. I just think when you have an ending that's possible, when you've got Emma Roberts' character, Jill, laying on the ground next to Sydney, Sydney could be dead. Like, let's do that. That's at least something's happening. I don't I don't feel like now I talked about Courtney Cox. I thought her character had some interesting things going on, but I don't, you know, because of the her shooting schedule it wasn't fleshed out very well. Dewey had nothing going on in this movie. He basically just shows up occasionally at crime scenes and then leaves again. Like, he was he just, always running places and he was yeah, he was always running there and, and always getting there a little bit. And he was one of the best parts of those of that movie. So I you right. know, like I think it really loses something. Also, this started happening in Scream 3, but I think it's in full force by Scream 4. We talked about how the first Scream, though it's a horror comedy as Jason defines it, you know, it it's funny, but it doesn't sacrifice the thrills for the laughs. Well, Scream 4 ends the scares with a joke. It, it does it backwards, you know, like it right. like a lot of the time as Kyle mentioned, they'll give you a joke to take you off guard and then they'll scare you. This is the opposite. It's using the, some of the violent moments as punchlines, like yeah, people uh, being stabbed in the head. Yeah, I, I'll agree. I had a little, telling jokes. I had a little problem with that, too. Yes, that that things like that. Yes. And, and that scene you're talking about specifically, I kind of did roll my eyes a little bit at that. It point. just feels like it's in the world of stab. It's mm-hmm. not in the world of Scream, and that's and that's the problem I have. Now there yeah. were some awesome scenes in this movie. When Sydney charges into the house, yes, give me more of this. I have not right. liked Sydney the victim for three movies. That's been one of my biggest problems with this franchise. But Sydney charging into a house after Ghostface was awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I loved that moment in the movie. And I thought that was a little thing that they did with her character because the whole thing with Out of the Darkness, it wasn't so much – yes, it was about her experiences, but it was about her no longer become, being a victim. Yeah. So they kind of did put her on the offensive in, in this movie, and she wasn't as afraid. She was being – you know, she was being sought at. You know, they were going after her, 
Um, but I didn't think of her. I thought that she was definitely more aggressive in this film than she was in, in the previous three, like more. And, and she always the other ones at the very end, she would become, she, you know, she would, she would sort of become aggressive. But like you said, in that scene, when she's charging into the house, she would not have done that maybe in the previous films. Just think about how much comic relief is in this movie. You've got Adam Brody and Anthony Anderson as the cops. They're comic relief. Yeah, You've right. got three Randy characters in this movie between Robbie, the kid with the cameras on his head, to Hayden, whatever her name is from Heroes. You know, the Kirby. Her, she played uh-huh. Kirby. Mm-hmm. She's right. also Randy. She's like Tatum meets Randy. And then you've got Rory Corkins, Rory Culkin's character, Charlie, who's also he's like Billy meets Randy. It's just like, how many Randys do we need in this town? And that was I guess that was the uh, Kevin Williamson's original concept for Scream 3. Originally, rather than go into the movie studio, he wanted to return to Woodsboro and have this film club um, pull this elaborate prank, basically, where. We thought they were all getting killed at the end. Sydney's alone in the house and they all stand up and none of them are actually dead. And it's been this big ruse to lure Sydney into her death. I know of another horror film like that. I won't say the name, but yeah. that, that tends to tick everybody off. Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, and I'm sure that's where Kevin Williamson got it from. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. You right. know, being the the homager that he is. But um, that, you know, it seemed like they basically riffed on the movie you mentioned and, and Williamson's original draft of scream three and, and kind of made scream four out of that a little bit. Well, um, and then adding in this new technology stuff, which by the way, falls totally flat for me. The way these kids talk about technology sounds like when my grandpa <laughs> would explain technology to someone like That's we're true. all on the internet these days. No, well, yeah, seen that right, and and I'm not going to disagree with that either. It's almost <laughs> like had that feeling of like Diary of the Dead, where George Romero was trying to put technology in there that he didn't understand. Who are you, you know? And this to? because it's yeah. definitely not these kids. Like, I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree with that either. But <laughs> as far as like, honestly, I got from this movie what I went in expecting to get from this movie, which was this sort of reunion of this this reunion of the cast with. With, um, again, you know, I, I, it's hard to defend this, but this, I, I did get it. I mean, I, I knew what to expect from the other three movies, and I got that in this one. I didn't, wasn't expecting them to really to, to do anything different, and I, I kind of got what I wanted from it. Well, tell, see, and it seems to me, tell me if this is an accurate characterization. I, I, it seems to me that, yeah, Dr. Shock was just pleased getting, um, and, and for lack of a better word, kind of the the standard fare that you can expect from screen. Well, yeah, and it's, it's hard to sit here and say, hey, give me the formula. And I, I, no. I don't want to be that guy who's <laughs> going to say, give me the formula all but, the time. I didn't want that. But I I got, you know, when I, I got the scenes, like I, I liked I liked the scene where Courtney Cox had sort of followed them to the, to the farmhouse. I don't know that it ended up being as, I don't know that it was as good as I maybe would have wanted it to be. But I did yeah. kind of I, I don't know that, you know, like she sort of picked up on that technology pretty quick, you yeah. know, with 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 yeah. the cameras and, and the look, look, the, the computer and everything. It's so like she hung around with these kids for a day and a half. And all of a sudden she knew everything <laughs> there was to know about this technology. I wasn't so much buying that. But, 
you know, I did kind of, I, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. And, and that's just really what I was looking for from the movie. And, and maybe that's just just the way I had approached it. You know, the way you feel about this is kind of how I feel about Scream 3. I really like Scream 3, d- mm-hmm. despite all its faults. I was just happy to see all those characters back together who I, I loved so much. But at this point, it just didn't feel like Scream to me. And being back at Woodsboro almost pointed that out more because even though they were in some of the same locations, didn't feel the same. It wasn't shot the same even. Like the cinematography, I don't know if you guys noticed this, was atrocious in my opinion. It looked like it was shot like a weird romantic comedy. All of the whites were just glowing. It was such a weird, I don't know if it was like a filter or some kind of cross-processing they did after the fact, but it just looked so strange. It was totally overexposed. Like because all of the daytime stuff I'm pretty Way sure it was, it was shot by the same guy. I'm pretty sure it was shot by the same so. guy who did the who did the previous films. I'm pretty sure no that because I saw the um I saw them talking about the uh, that they got everybody back. They got like they even got the crew back. They had the, the the composer back. Let me look it up. Who was the cinematographer? Peter Deming. He's good, man. Peter Deming did Mulholland Drive. He did From Hell. I, I mean, I think he's done some awesome stuff. But he did still- Scream Two and. Did, did he do screen? The, did he do the first scream? I don't see him listed for the first scream now. Okay. I don't see so, him listed. Yeah. So he did scream two. He did scream I mean, he's two done and scream like, three. He did, he did the did jacket two. Huckabee's. Yeah, he did scream two and scream three. Drag me to hell. I'm not saying he's untalented. Cabin okay. in the Woods. He clearly knows what he's doing. Look, but I'm just saying the it does not look the same as the other movies. And I say that as okay. someone who's seen the other movies a hundred times. Right. And right. It's weird being in Woodsboro with this really glossy, it's almost like Indiana Jones four. Just like, this doesn't look the same. Feels <laughs> <laughs> okay. weird. Wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think a minute ago you mentioned, um, the, the stabbing in the head. Didn't, didn't somebody bring that up a minute ago? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of inst- interesting trivia on that. I, I did think that was odd, but then um, maybe everybody knows this already. But I guess that wasn't initially in the script, but it was inspired by um, a real-life medical emergency that, that Wes Craven had seen in a documentary where a person got stabbed through the head and actually walked into the emergency room like that. And I've heard of that, too, injuries where – Someone would get a pipe through their head. Yes, I, 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 what was that? What was that show? Was it ER? I remember seeing that in an episode. Yeah, like, like that's like, that. like a real thing. I mean, if he, yeah. yeah, it's really bizarre. And so he thought it would be um, really neat to have somebody stabbed in the head and still be alive for a while. Which, yes, it is, but I don't know that it, it went to, it, 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 that didn't work. I mean, especially with the last line. and then Yeah, know, I mean, I agree. That was because, very sort of Schwarzenegger 80s after, you know, and, thrown, out a little, thrown out a little one-liner. Yeah, and, and because this is a. Someone off. And, and because this is a really a big, more of a comedy than a horror film anyway, it's like just, it's too much. But I do think that's neat. I, I like to learn about. The origins of how things came to be, I think that's kind of cool. But, and I'm going off on this way more than I probably should because I had fun again watching the movie. But it's just I do hold these films to a higher standard, and I feel like this falls way short. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's um let's wrap up with our final thoughts and ratings then, and um, I, I guess I'll go first here real quick. So, 
I saw this in the theater, and I really, I actually enjoyed myself. It was released on April 15th, 2011, and that opening weekend, it raked in, what, like 19 million, something like that. Yeah. And uh, it is Wes Craven's final film, and so I think there are reasons that it's, I don't know, it's memorable for me for a lot of reasons. Like, I remember, you know, just because it's pretty fresh that was the same year that we were getting going on um later that year we got going on like horror <laughs> palace and the weekly horror movie podcast and so i that that era is that's a fond time for me and so i think i i have a little bit of that association um with this movie too i mean this is prior to that all that of course but I, i'm just saying i'm just putting it out there you guys why i was a little bit nostalgic for 2011 that sounds very dumb but so i had a really good time i think the opening is um a little too much but the first time you see it it's like oh this is fun this is clever but then when you see it again you're like okay i they're just milking this a little bit too much and but uh, above all what bothers me the most about this film is the revelation of the killer. That whole Jill, like the niece thing or cousin. What is she? Cousin? Whatever. She it, would, is. it would be like, it would be cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Her it cousin. Would be, it would be cousin. Man, that, that just, that's ridiculous. So she wanted to kill her because she was like jealous of her attention that she's gotten from these awful things that happened to her. Then who feels that way? And like that doesn't ring true at all to me. Like yeah. if, if somebody in my family has had a, a horrific life, it's like, um, yeah, like I'm going to be jealous of them. And then furthermore, I'm going to want to kill that person. It doesn't add up. Josh, I totally agree with you with the killer thing. It is a problem. I think that's a, a serious issue. But having said all of that, I would still rather see Scream 4, which is a comedy horror I would rather see this than one of these like devils do, you know, paranormal ghost movies that we've been getting the last five years or whatever it is, because yeah, I'm so sick of those. And I would rather have a horror comedy like this than one of those. So for that reason, I mean, I still give this a 6.5. I think it's worth renting, especially if you love the franchise. You should at least rent this. I mean, everybody should at least see it once. So 6.5 rental. What do you say, Josh? I just, um, I have such respect for the work that all of these people did in Scream. From Kevin Williamson to Wes Craven to David Arquette, um, to whoever else, Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox. I, I I just think they did such great work in the past. Um, and I think especially Kevin Williamson falls really short for me here. And it's disappointing now. Some of that might be Aaron Kruger's fault. Some of that might be Bob Weinstein's fault. I don't know. I was excited about the young cast, Roy Culkin. I love him many a movie. I would say this is one of his worst things I've seen him in. Um, I was excited to see Britt. Robertson, who this is a kind of a romantic comedy dramedy, but I love a movie called Dan in Real Life. Oh, yeah. And she's the daughter that says, you're a murderer of love. And that's like probably my favorite line in the entire movie. <laughs> so I was that's really fun. happy to see her in this film. Um, 
Hayden Panettieriet, whatever her name is from Heroes. I thought she was awesome as Kirby. Yeah. I loved her character. I could have watched ten movies with her character in it. So, for that reason alone, I wish they had made three more movies with her, with Kirby in it. Me too. But I thought Emma Roberts was bad in this movie as Jill. Yeah. Um, the dialogue she had to work with wasn't the best, you know. Um, but I thought she sucked as a killer. Um, I really liked Deputy Hicks, who we didn't talk about. Now, there were a couple actresses that dropped out of this project early. Lake Bell, who I'm a huge fan of, was originally supposed to play Deputy Hicks. Um, and she dropped out because she was so annoyed with the script. Lauren Graham was initially supposed to be the mom. And I guess when Aaron Kruger came on, they diminished that role quite a bit. And Lauren Graham left. That would have been great for this franchise to get three movies with those actresses. By the um, way, sorry, by the way, Josh, since you're a Lake Bell fan, yeah. you should definitely see No Escape. Anyway, that's all I okay. have to say about that. Sorry. But I thought but I thought Marley Shelton was great. I love her in Grindhouse, and yeah. I thought she was awesome in this as Judy Hicks. Really, probably the scariest part of the movie, and I wish they'd done more with it, was her weird relationship with Sydney uh, when they have like a little encounter in the hallway. But anyway, all of that uh, – all of this added up to a whole lot of nothing for me. It was just a disappointment. I will agree with what Jay said. I'd rather watch this still than just a crappy paranormal found footage film. Personally, being a fan of, you know, not hating either paranormal or found footage. I, I do love slashers. And so this is just a slightly below average slasher for me, but it's really disappointing for me as part of the scream franchise. I give it a five. I say rent it. I own all of the Scream movies on multiple formats, as I've mentioned, and I do not own Scream 4. So wow. to me, that says it all. <laughs> Five rental then. Okay. Dr. Shock, bring it okay. home. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, well, first off, Josh, I was looking because I, I did watch the extra, uh, the bonus features, and they did mention about how Peter Deming had been working on all the movies. Now, I did look. He was listed, and maybe you know what this means, additional director of photography on Scream. Okay. All right, Which so it was I like a second unit like, or something. Yeah, like an assistant, I guess, but it just says additional. Um, but anyway, I he's good. I, mean, I just I don't know. This movie looks very different and really weird. And, and that's and that's fair. I mean, you would actually you'd probably be a little more in tune with that. I didn't notice what you're talking about. So if if you um, ever watch it, even if you just if you have it available, just pop it in and watch some of the first daylight scenes with Dewey and around town with with sydney you'll notice like mm -hmm. everything that's white is glowing it looks way overexposed it looks like a weird cross-processed romantic comedy or something it's okay. really really odd yeah i will i mean i did watch it not not too long ago actually earlier today but i wasn't keying in on that so i think i will maybe i'll pop it out look at some of those scenes early on um, but i i i enjoyed i liked the reunion i i liked getting these characters back together yeah, and I did get what I was expecting from it. Um, I will agree with you that there are issues and, and that we'd already discussed. And what was what, what, what you had said something to Jay right at the end there? It wasn't so much about the killers, because again, I thought they said established that it's always going to be you know that there's always going to be these a different killer. Um, and I didn't have a problem that you know that they had done it when she got to she got home because of who that ended up being. Um, yeah, I'll, all right. Anyway, I'm just going to give it a, uh, I'm going to say 7.5 and I'm going to wow. say, yeah, pick it up. And I actually do own it on Blu-ray with the other three. Wow. I have all four of them on Blu-ray. So you um, 7.5 buy it is what you're well, saying? Well, I, I, again, it's like, I'm a completist. So for me, it's going yeah. to be a buy. 
Um, and what did I do for Scream 3? Did I say that was a buy? You said it was a buy, and you gave yeah. it a 7. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to stick with that with this one, then. You think yeah. this is better than Scream 3? I, I actually love... <laughs> I liked it a little better than Scream 3, to be honest with you. And the, Scream 3, I had I had a bit of a problem, as I said, with the character of um, uh, the Parker Posey's character. Mm. She just kind of graded on me a little yeah. bit. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's, okay. it's not – no, I'm giving it the same rating, I believe. I think I gave Scream 3 a 7.5 as well. So I'm No, you gave it a 7. Oh, did I give it a seven? Yeah. Well, then, all right. Then I guess I do like it 0.5 better. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, and I did. I, I got what I was expecting from it, and I did enjoy these characters coming back together. So yeah, I'll say 7.5 and pick it up. This is going to blow your minds. Okay, so um, when <laughs> Josh mentioned Hayden Panettiere, yeah, like that very, and I did really. Li- that's what I wanted to say. I really liked her character as well. Oh yeah, I, well we she all. She was do. definitely one of the strongest characters in the movie. She she is from. I first knew her from. Remember the Titans, right? Oh, she's the little daughter. Yeah, the yeah. little daughter, and yeah, that's she how she was I, as good as that as a kid. Wow. Yeah, she she actually her first appearance in anything was at eleven months old. She was in a commercial for Play School. She's been in more than fifty commercials, according to trivia here but anyway i got kind of like looking into her trivia and first of all she's only five foot tall so she's very short but guess how much just guess how much she got paid for her role in scream for this movie we were just talking about was it a lot or a little a hundred thousand dollars okay doc says a hundred thousand what do you say josh i'll go with two hundred thousand one million dollars. What? <laughs> now, I heard her role got cut, chopped down a ton, too, that initially she was the only Randy character, I believe. And oh, is that correct? Yeah, I think she was the main, maybe even the other killer, but um, she was the Randy stand-in initially. Then later, they said it was the Eric Knudsen character when they started doing press, like, oh, we've got this Randy character. So I'm wondering if her role initially comprised both of those roles, and that's why she was... But also, Heroes was such a hot property when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, Which yeah. she got paid two million for Heroes. But anyways, wow. Yeah, Ooh, so she's rich. Two million an episode. It just says Heroes two thousand six. She got two million, so that might have been her salary. Right, for that for the, for the but, whole series right yeah. But in Nashville, which she was also in, she got seventy five grand per episode. So she's rich and beautiful. So <laughs> and short. Yeah, very and short. Sh- and short and, yeah. and I'm taller. And so. born two years after I graduated from high school. I know. I know. <laughs> How I depressing know. is that? I know, like nineteen eighty nine. Crazy. Right. Okay. Anyway, so that concludes our review for Scream Four, but stick around because we still want to talk about the T V series. <laughs> Hey, this is Eric from Long Island. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Brooke, would you please tell us which genre originated with the castle of Otranto? <clears throat> the castle genre? The gothic genre? Thank you. Guys, look, I get it. Nobody wants to sit around reading 500 dusty pages about monks and curses, but nobody's forcing you to watch The Walking Dead. Is The Walking Dead on the midterm? Zombies are not literature, Jake. <laughs> Why not? George Romero, Horace Walpole, it's all the same bones. 
or the same rotting flesh. Karen's right. Gothic genre is all over TV right now. You have American Horror Story, you have Bates Motel, Hannibal. What about Texas Chainsaw or Halloween? Uh, those are slasher movies. You can't do a slasher movie as a TV series. Think about it. You know, girl and her friends arrive at the dance, the camp, the deserted town, whatever. Killer takes them out one by one. 90 minutes later, the sun comes up as the survivor girl is sitting in the back of the ambulance watching her friend's bodies being wheeled past. Slasher movies burn bright and fast. TV needs to stretch things out. Nina, are you home? You know, by the time the first body is found, it's only a matter of time before the bloodbath commences. All right, and at this point in episode 67 of Horror Movie Podcast, we want to welcome back one of our favorite people. He is our fourth co-host, Dr. Walking Dead. Hey, everybody. (laughs) We're glad you're here. So you are here for a very important mission. You and the Wolfman Josh are going to be reviewing this new uh, Scream TV series. And I just want to let the listeners know, they will not be giving major plot spoilers or anything Maybe mild spoilers, but they'll give you a heads up before it comes. So let me just turn it over to uh, Josh and Kyle. All right. Well, um, after Scream 4, you know, they thought, well, should we do 5 and 6 at this point? And the the kind of muck and mire we find ourselves in. And uh, they decided against it. And they kind of dropped Williamson from the project and Craven moved over to MTV who had successfully, you know, as we've mentioned on this teen wolf television series and thought, okay, maybe we can do this with scream. And it was kind of an uphill battle, you know, as we, as we hear from the Noah character doing a, a slasher on as a television series, um, kind of presents different problems than doing a zombie show, for instance, something like mm-hmm. the walking dead. So there's a different set of concerns when you're trying to plot and write, uh, a show like this. Um, and in doing so, they do a full reboot of the series, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting. They reinvent the mask, which I was really upset about uh, initially, but within the world of this series, I don't mind quite as much. They also changed the name of the town. They changed the entire backstory. This is a, basically a totally different movie, uh, a totally different idea other than it kind of uses this postmodern self-awareness that the scream series is known for and it makes use of technology and telephones and all of these things that the scream series is known for my general thoughts on it is that i think the scream television series does much better what scream 4 was trying to do and i think it's far more successful than scream 4 Mm-hmm. Um, but it is very different from the Scream series. It's it's if anything, if if Scream was kind of filled to the brim with the DNA of Halloween, this takes a page out of Friday the Thirteenth, which is an interesting change up in the in terms of the mythology of the world. But but you know, it has the same teens, it has the same wisecracking geeks with all the movie meta movie self awareness. And it's very heavily rooted in teen drama, like the original film and like Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Kyle? Well, I think, and and this is this is spoiler free, but I do think it's stronger at the beginning than it is at the end. 
Uh, I had really high hopes when it, when we first came out of the gate, although I, I had not read up on it. I didn't know what was going on. So I was a little confused about it being a full reboot. So, cause I kind of thought, is this going to be in the same town or is this going to be a copycat killer? And it did take me a minute to figure out, no, this is, this is taking some of the conceits of the original and, and relaunching them. But once I was grounded in that, and that's why I'm saying it for people who haven't seen it yet, uh, if you give it a chance as something kind of fresh and new, it really is a, a great update on what was going on with the original series, what we've talked about uh, with the cell phone technology and, and cordless phones and all that kind of stuff, as Josh alluded to. And so I was really interested in that side of it, and I think they did maintain interest in that plot device through till the very last episode of this season. So it's all about the internet and websites and webcams and, and blogging and texting and uh, manipulating the, the software and using phones in yes. ways they're not meant to be used and malware. And it explores things about privacy and, and things being leaked and, and videos <clears throat> and all that kind of stuff is, is, for somebody of my generation is like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. But of course, I, I teach 19 to 24 year olds on a daily basis. That really is their world. Yes. Uh, and we, and, you know, everyone jokes about all oh, these kids today with their phones. No, it is their world. Snapchatting each other, posting images, posting video, commenting on each other's stuff. So much so that they will have a conversation through their phones in the same room. Uh, which is fascinating to me as an old curmudgeon. So I, I think <laughs> the series really captures, kind of captures the spirit of the age in much the same way the original film did of the 90s. And it is kind of a show about and for high school kids. Uh, and, and so initially I was like, why MTV? Why is this on MTV? And an episode and a half in, it's like, oh, well, duh. <laughs> Of course yes. it's on MTV. Uh, you know, every time there's a song on the soundtrack, a little thing pops up at the bottom. You are now listening to, and it, tell, <laughs> and it tells you the song so you can go buy it from iTunes. So on a meta level, I mean, it is a technological show as well. It is a music video uh, in many different ways. And it does some very interesting things that we can get into uh, without spoiling too much of it. Yeah, so the show starts in this little town of Lakewood. So Woodsboro has been replaced by Lakewood. And you've got your Sydney Prescott character. You've got your Randy character. These people are all present. Um, but you've got a totally different backstory where rather than this completely new invention based on a mother's indiscretion, it, you've got this legend that takes place in the lake at this town where a boy died, a deformed boy died at the lake um, in different under dis different circumstances was, than Jason. Yeah, was his name Jason? <laughs> no. No, no, but under 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 different circumstances, yet the same. You know, he was a boy who uh, was deformed. He had this. I don't remember what it's called. Maybe you guys do. It's the same disease that the Elephant Man had, and they say that on the show. Um, and you know, he was seen as this outcast and this monster, and he was in love with a girl. It's kind of a Beauty and the Beast story, and he's shot down. And years later, his ghost, we don't know, he, risen from the dead, he's still alive. Someone comes back to wreak havoc on this small town for the crimes in their past. 
And so he dons this white mask that is somewhere between the scream mask and the Jason Voorhees hockey mask, but is kind of this weird, twisted, melted, uh, hard plastic mask that the killer wears around. And, and, you know, and hunts and stalks and scares teens at the high school, as well as the local sheriff and some of the parents in, in a very similar way to this, you know, the scream killer, the way Ghostface always has via texts and phone calls and the same, not the exact same. It's not the same voice actor finally this time, but it is a very similar voice. And as Kyle said, it deals with online culture and cell phone culture well, in, a way that, in a way that Scream 4 tried to. And I think like Scream 4 feels like it's written by an old man. To me <laughs> and to and scream the television series feels like it gets it a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. so Josh, were you did you basically just say that this elephant boy supposedly or presumably is the killer? We know who the killer is in this right up front, or is that unknown? Well, it's based on the legend of the killer. And that's what yeah. you know, people are wondering if these deaths are you know tied to this old legend. Yeah, it's, the, it's this generational narrative where there, there was some atrocity, there was some murder, there was there was a mask, and now it's like returned, and it's all coming back. And so, it's is it the same killer? Is it a copycat killer? Is it a vengeance killer? And so, there's a lot of red herrings, which you expect from from Scream, and it could be this person or it could be this person, and what's the backstory and who's this? Because uh, as with Scream, it's as much a it's as much of a whodunit as it is a slasher. Yeah. So every episode, every week, they give you more clues. Uh, they give you a red herring, and then the next week that person dies. <laughs> so now you know, okay, yeah. it's not that person, and they're able because it's a TV series to really to really take the conceit of scream and draw it out over what was it? 10 episodes or I don't know what the run was. Uh, but it, it, it gives them more time to play with it and to keep you as the viewer off balance because you're expecting things to happen that happened in scream. And sometimes they do happen the way they happened in the movies or sometimes they don't, but you thought they would. And that's clever. Yeah. And also, as Kyle said, it's it's as much a whodunit as it is a slasher. It's also as much a high school drama as it is a whodunit. Oh, and yeah. the character Noah, the Jamie Kennedy, you know, Randy type character kind of lays that out for us. He says, in a way, this is a Friday Night Lights. And we have a clip where he's talking about that. So you never told me how it ends. Uh, how what ends? The town's horror story. Does Tyler really kill Nina or is Brandon James back? Um, well, you know you got to remember that the whodunit may not be as important in our story. So it's more of a why done it? No. I'm saying you need to forget it's a horror story, that someone might die at every turn. You see, you have to care if the smoking hot lit teacher seems a little too interested in his female students. You have to care if the team wins the big game. You, uh... You have to care if the smart, pretty girl forgives the dumb jock. <laughs> Sounds like Friday Night Lights. Exactly. You root for them. You love them. So when they are brutally murdered, it hurts. So what he's saying is, you know, you need to care about these characters because we're in a long form television program. And essentially we are in Friday Night Lights. We are in parenthood. We're in a show that focuses around these characters. And yet occasionally one of them is going to get knocked off. And Mm -hmm. 
And the horror does escalate at times and other times it doesn't. And this, one of the things I think is fascinating about the show, um, we talked about this a little bit with Tusk, but the framing device of this television show is a podcast, which I love. Yeah, um, nice. It feels very current and very personal to me. And it's based around Serial, the tel- the uh, the famous podcast from Sarah Koenig. That was kind of the inspiration for um, – doing a podcast set in this world and the actress who uh, plays the podcaster modeled herself after Sarah Koenig and serial, which I think is just genius and so much fun as a serial listener. Mm. But I don't know. That was exciting to me. Did that do anything for you, Kyle? Uh, I didn't catch the illusion cause I'm not as uh, well versed in podcast culture as you all, you guys are. Uh, but I did like that all the character types because it's, you know, we often talk about how horror films have these type characters, and now the type characters are the original characters from the first Scream movie. Yeah. Uh, but there is an updating of them. And so, yeah, instead of a, a sensational journalist, uh, we now get this this blog, this podcaster blogger, um, the girl who is the central focus of the killer's torment is still there, and it's because she has... Uh, she's being punished for the sins of of people who are older than her or, or have gone on before her, yeah. and so you do kind of line that up. There is there is the kind of Dewey character, but he's not a clown. He's he's much more sober. Um, they're playing with the idea that you as an audience are going to expect a lot of sleight of hand and a lot of who's this and who's not. And 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 my wife and I were joking about it because it's like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was only one killer because we're all (laughs) expecting there to be two or because of all these conventions. I think it's working for a fresh new audience though. I think a lot of the kids watching the show and I just, you know, I watched this movie at MTV.com. And so I read a lot of the comments that are underneath the player and man, these kids have not seen horror movies before. And this is, you know, and this is awesome in a way. Like I think it's, it's working in kind of the way I would hope something like this would work. It's turning people who aren't familiar with horror into horror fans. People saying mm. I had so much anxiety during this episode. I was freaking out, you know, and like, it's so fun to see that <laughs> in this kind of form for me. I thought, I thought that yeah. was exciting as well. And the thing that's most refreshing about this to me, I talked about screams killer problem um, that I think has become the bane of the screen franchise's storytelling is this idea that we're always moving on to this next killer who is for some reason copycatting killers. They have no real connection to either using the same voice decoder or the same costume. It all feels so contrived, especially mm-hmm. by the time we're to scream for this movie jettison or this show jettisons all of that. It jettisons the stab movies, which have been a reoccurring problem for me. It, it just starts fresh. And right. something about doing that reboot allows them to go back and hit on all of these points, again, largely for a new audience who isn't necessarily expecting two killers or isn't necessarily expecting anything from the Randy or Dewey type characters and allowing it to kind of freshly revisit those ideas in a modern age. Um, it's not perfect. It has I have problems with it, but I've never seen a slasher TV show before. Right. Not like this. And I love slashers. And so this is just something as a slasher fan, it's just something really fun to watch. I mean, it, it, I like it better than everything else that's on TV right now, especially on MTV right now. So I don't know. For me, that's 
you know, if I was to rate it as an actual film, I don't know how high my rating would be. Um, but thinking about it as a, the only slosher television series, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I think. Well, and I think it does work on the dual level, which is great because you, it is pretty satisfying to fans of the scream franchise, uh, because of the sleight of hand and the expectation manipulation. But it, like you said, it does work for this younger generation. Who's not really uh, savvy to the genre. And in a lot of ways, it potentially is going to do for the teens, what the original film did for the nineties. It's, it's exposing a new generation to these types of films and this type of plotting um, by, by kind of seducing them in with a, Hey, it's a, it's an MTV high school melodrama and there's this killer on the loose. Um, I thought it, well, and you already mentioned it, but I think the brilliance is the Noah character uh, coming out in the beginning and saying, of course you would never have a, a TV show like this. That's stupid. And, and for them to just openly embrace and voice uh, the criticism that they probably were confronted with in development is great. And it does give you pause to go, Hey, you know what? That's right. This is really an unusual genre for TV. And then they point out all the reasons why it's not going to be possible. And then of course they go forward anyway. And and so I do think, on the one hand, it's introducing the slasher idea to a new generation. But on the other hand, it's saying to uh, the industry, look, this is an era in which horror is functioning relatively well on television for maybe the first time ever. Yeah. So what else can we try? What else can we do? Um, and right now, my 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 genre obviously is horror. That's my passion. But of the last five or six years, I've been losing interest in film and increasing my interest in television. And so the marriage of television and horror is something I've, I've really been looking forward to. Um, cause I, I keep threatening to talk about it and we haven't had time to do it yet, but I'm actually extremely happy with the strain. Uh, and I hate the book. But the TV series is just fascinating and kind of wonderful. Uh, so who who would have thought that we would be around when there's a, a zombie TV show, a vampire TV show, and a slasher TV show all on TV at the same time? Yeah. And they're not like comedies. They're actual pretty serious horror. So I think that's amazing. So I think the show, it doesn't have the same production values as, say, the first film. You know, it is a TV series on MTV, so it, it does it does pretty good with what they have. You can feel the budget occasionally. Yeah, it's, it's better than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially it starts bad. out strong. I think the pilot is pretty bang-pow. Like, especially yeah. that first scene, you know, we've talked about these opening scenes of these Scream movies. It's hard to top... Yeah, or even compare to the Drew Barrymore opening, but they have a pretty good opening scene and it really sets the stage for what you're going to be getting. And although they stretch out the scares and the kills pretty far, you know, between them, you know, to try to kind of drag it out for the full season, um, when it is violent, it gets pretty gory. I mean, it's, it's surprisingly gory for like I, stuff I, that Wes Craven yeah. would have got an NC 17 for in the first film. Like we discussed with the entrails and all that stuff. They just have that right on TV this time. So it's pretty crazy that they yeah. get away with that. There's some stuff that I found surprising. Uh, it's not quite walking dead level, uh, but, but pretty hardcore. Yeah. Uh, just a different world. Oh, definitely. 
and and the pacing is slower, but it, it didn't annoy me to death because uh, one other influence that we haven't mentioned is it's very much in the procedural drama camp. So, yes. uh, and this isn't a spoiler, but the the, the protagonist Emma, um, her mom is a coroner, and so we we kind of do see the influence of CSI and Bones and that kind of stuff. So, in the middle of the slasher, the pace slows down as we examine the crime scene and we examine the body. Um, there's and and as with the original film, there's lots of open references to other narratives. There's some mm-hmm. there's some Silence of the Lambs in there. Um, and, and so I think they're doing a pretty good job script wise, and I think they're doing a pretty good job within the limitations of the budget and the TV and MTV and all that kind of stuff. You can tell the, how methodical they're being with the writing. You can see how thoughtful they're being about what's coming next. I mean, they're being very careful with it and not in a bad way. Like I'm, I'm really happy to see, because I, you know, I love these scream films and I love, you know, with these whodunits. They're great for the first one, but they're not built for sequels. And we'll we'll see if season two is as good as season one with this new series. But I feel like they're being much more thoughtful than this television or than the movie series ever was about setting up where they're going. Um, and I think they've seems like they've done their homework and done a, a good job with the writing. I really like Noah Foster, uh, that character played by John Carna, yeah. who was the Randy Meeks stand-in. <clears throat> I think he is great casting. Yeah. Um, I like, I like the young lady who plays Audrey. I'd only seen her, but she's on the arrow TV show. Um, I like her on that. I like the actress that plays Emma. There are a few of the teen boys that are a bit, um, weak for me. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I didn't like the boyfriends of, of the group. I thought they were pretty crappy. Um, actors. yeah, I think, I think Jake fell flat. Uh, I think Kieran yeah. was okay, but, um, and, and Brooke drives me crazy, but I think she's supposed to, <laughs> but I mean, it, you guys, uh, uh, Jay and Dr. Shock, as you just listening, I mean, just us telling you the names of the characters tells you a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Emma and Brooke and Jake and Maggie. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And then the one Asian character, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> minorities continue to not fare well in horror movies. <laughs> yeah. But I thought she, uh, she did quite well. Um, yeah. the, the other thing that I really like about this, uh, as I talk about all the different intersecting influences, um, there's a lot of Heathers here, a lot of Heathers. Yes. And, yes. and again, this is for a generation who's not as aware of Heathers as my generation. I, I think I had the damn thing memorized. Um, but, but that whole idea of, of high school as being kind of populated by serial killers anyway, cause teenagers are all psychopaths. The idea of, <laughs> of if, of if someone dies, someone is quick to rise into their place. Uh, you, you try to kill somebody and they're replicated. Uh, but, but that was, the 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 Kieran character, who's played by Amadea Serafini, what a great name, um, <laughs> is is so much a carbon copy of the of the character from Heather's. Um, it's it's I can't tell if it's homage or if it's ripoff, um, but but oh, I almost it's both it's both. <laughs> I almost like the series more as a version of Heather's than I do as a version of Scream. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think again, it's it is riffing on much different source material than the films, and so I think that's 
immediately frustrating as a fan of the Scream franchise. But then if, if once you can kind of admit it to yourself or like deal with that initial disappointment that this isn't going to be the ghost face yeah. that we know and love, it's pretty good for what it is. You know, yeah. and, you know, I, I, there are going to be people, I'm one of them, who is going to have a hard time with all the teen drama because I just don't care at this stage of my life. And there's, you know, there's quite a bit of that. It's it's a you know it's a show on MTV. If you can get through that, I mean, I'm and I'm also someone who loves procedurals, so I, I, this yeah. is perfect for me. Other than the excessive teen drama, but that's always been a problem with my enjoyment of the Scream movies. Mm. Well, and I would encourage people to check it out. I mean, I, it's almost one of those things where it's it's like you you go watch it, but you don't. We're okay if you don't admit you watched it. Because it's like, yeah. it is okay to admit it. You can say that you watched a, a, a show on MTV and you enjoyed it, uh, even in your 40s. Uh, because I think it is clever and I think it's interesting enough. And and like uh, Josh said, if you just kind of accept it for what it is and get past some of the, the things that might otherwise hang you up, um, it's enjoyable. And it's not obvious. You don't always know what's happening next. And And every so often an episode will do something where I went, oh, that's really clever. And I haven't seen that before. And there's enough innovation that it kept my attention. Uh, and I was, when I watched the pilot, I was perfectly willing to say, this is a one and done. I'm not going to stick with it. But it brought me back week after week uh, because it, even though it's a little slower paced, it does have some nice cliffhangers and it drives the plot. I think it's something that could be satisfyingly binge watched uh, and mm-hmm. just kind of motor through Definitely. it over a weekend. And I loved – I actually really enjoyed the last few episodes. I liked the finale. I don't think – like you said, they're not quite as strong, but I, I thought it was fun. I mean, again, put this on the level of all the crappy slashers I've seen in my life. It's not oh, yeah. that bad. Like it's no. pretty decent. It's a pretty decent slasher. Yeah. And and I think the payoff is satisfying. I th- I think – yes. In the final episode, things got mildly predictive. The second to last episode I think was stronger. Uh, especially mm-hmm. with the, with the cliffhanger there, yeah. Um, and then of course they have the little coda uh, to set up season two, uh, yes. which is going to be difficult. Uh, if, if the only thing harder than doing a successful slasher TV series is doing a successful sequel to a slasher's TV series, and <laughs> so it'll it'll be interesting to see if the second season of this goes the way of so many horror sequels. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will try it. The best thing they have going for them is that they knew where they were going. They knew since season five or episode five that they were going to be renewed for a second season, and they were, were thinking about that as they finished the show. So yeah, and and it's clearly there's there's some care to the scripting and the story and and the arc. And while they do tease the next season, uh, they don't give stuff away. Uh, it's very much a I don't know what that means. I guess I'll have to come back. Um, I hope they don't take too long because they could lose the the fan base because of the short term attention span of this generation. Well, Teen Wolf has done pretty good on MTV, so I think they'll pull it it out. It has. It has. Um, I this is totally tangential, uh, but from childhood, I was a huge fan of Terry Brooks, and I love the Shannara books in Hmm. my fantasy world. And Matt, I heard Matt Troy uh, and William from the sci-fi podcast are huge Terry Brooks fans. You guys. Yeah. It's one of, it. it's one of the only authors who's, I own all his books in hardback and I can't say that about 
hardly anybody. <laughs> Including his Star Wars Episode One. I have Star Wars Episode One, which is well written. It is well yeah. written. You and also the point have is... <laughs> Stephen King books too, though, Kyle. Right? Well, but you... not all of them. <laughs> oh. Okay. But uh, I heard that the Shannara TV series was going to be on MTV, and I went, "Oh crap!" Well, there goes that. Uh, the Scream series gives me hope. And now that the trailer for the Shannara series is out, I'm quite surprised at the production values. So maybe MTV is getting serious about uh, high-end uh, television yeah. series. So let's go for it. So yeah. where do you guys come in then for uh, like a rating? If you were going to rate this first season of the Scream TV series, what do you have, Wolfman? I don't know if I would rate a TV series, but I would say stream it. It is streaming at MTV.com. Not all of the episodes are available right now. They kind of make you wait to watch them online. I believe they're in reruns on the actual MTV. Or you yeah. can buy the entire season for like 15 bucks on Amazon Instant Video. Um, but it's a fun watch. If you like slashers, it's, you know, I, it's in that kind of, it's as good as the 90s slashers. I know we have listeners who are big fans of the I Know What You Did Last Summers and you know, those types of urban legends of the world. Yeah. If you like those, this is better in my opinion. So. Yeah. That's a great way to explain uh, what this is and what we're talking about. If you're a huge fan of the old school 70s stuff, this isn't for you. Uh, I think if you're in, if you're in your late thirties and early forties, as many of us are, it's not, you're not the target audience. <laughs> uh, let's right. just be honest about that. Um, but I think it delivers on its promise. I think it does what it says. I think it's a great way to reboot this series the right way. Um, maybe in the nineties, high school kids were seeing more movies. Definitely. Now they're watching more TV and they're watching more stuff online. And so I think it works. Uh, just the, the meta textual delight of, of sitting at a computer, watching a window, playing a TV show in which they're watching a computer, in which there's a window, in which there's a video. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean that's that's what's going on. Uh, but I have no qualms against, uh, against rating a, a TV series. Nice. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven uh, for what it is. Uh, it's kind of a subjective rating, and, and I don't think that rating would compare necessarily equally across the board to other things I've rated. But I, I'm giving it a little bit of a high rating because of my state of pleasant surprise. <laughs> I think. So, what is in, that compared to The Walking <laughs> Dead? What is what do you rate or The Strain? What do you rate those? Uh, I would comparison. rate Walking Dead. Oh, see, now you're talking to a TV guy. I would have to be season <laughs> by season because <laughs> uh, some of the the first season of The Walking Dead is a ten. Mm -hmm. The most recent season is probably a nine. Some of the intervening seasons are sixes. But, you know, Walking Dead's a, an <laughs> eight or nine. Um, the Strain is an eight or a nine. Uh, the first season's probably a nine. It's probably an eight right now. I mean, it's good stuff, and I'm really liking it, and I'm kind of surprised at it. Uh, Fear, Fear the Walking Dead right now is more of a five. <laughs> right. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that thing. <laughs> uh, that gives now, us an idea. In two years, if you ask me to rate the Scream first season of Scream, I might say it's a five or a six. But having just watched the finale this evening, I'm coming off a little bit on a high. I think it ended well, and so I'm going to go seven. I think you should give it a chance. Uh, I think you, if, if you like any of the things we've talked about, any of the source text or the illusions or the, the content, at least watch the pilot 
just for me. And if you don't like the pilot, <laughs> walk away. If you know, it's no Scream One, but if you like no, Scream no, no. Two and Three, and especially if you like Scream Four, you'll you'll like this. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you sounded like I know you didn't want to rate a number, Josh, but just knowing you as I do, it sounded like it was around your six point five range. It would be lower than that, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, because but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how to rate a TV show. I could rate it episode by episode. Yeah, <laughs> if we wanted to get really crazy, we'd have to do it that way. <laughs> and then once you averaged out, I probably wouldn't give it a seven, but. In the moment, in the heat of the moment, I'm saying seven. Right. <laughs> it's fun. I like slashers. There aren't any others on TV. You might as well watch it. It's a good time. So again, it is the best slasher TV show of 2015. <laughs> Definitely that. Definitely that. So again, where can people watch this if they want to catch up with it now that they heard you two? You can watch MTV, which is a television station, or you can go to <laughs> MTV.com, which has clips so make sure you're watching full episodes because they they kind of th- throw them all together in their video folder you have to kind of like make sure you're watching a full episode and not a clip they don't let you al- allow you to watch all of them until certain dates they kind of like keep them on tv for a certain period of time then they release yeah, the online like a, a couple version. weeks or something so but you or you can buy them all for like a dollar 99 a piece at amazon yeah. yeah i i would not say it's worth a dollar 99 an episode Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that tells me something, too. <laughs> and there's about, you said there are about 10 episodes and they're hour-long episodes. Well, I've got it open right here. Let me just look. Okay. Uh, they're hour-long? Is Yes, that... they're, they're 10, well, 45-minute episodes. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so if you bought the whole thing, uh, you're looking at 20 bucks, which is, you know, if you buy a DVD. But I don't think I would want to own it. I think I've seen it. Plus, it'll there will be opportunities to see it for free in the future. I'm sure. I got you. Okay. Anything else on that one? No, I think that's uh, I think I said my piece without giving away anything. Okay. Good. And you Wolfman? Yeah, I'm good. That's, that's about all I've got to say about it. <laughs> He's like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, as we begin to wrap up this show, I just want to ask Dr. Walking Dead, where can the listeners catch up with you and find more of your work, sir? Uh, Twitter. I've, I've been trying to be relatively active, uh, especially on Sunday night, which is like horror night on TV. Um, so I have been tweeting Fear the Walking Dead and The Strain, and soon we'll be doing The Walking Dead again. Um, and I've been doing some mini film reviews when I can, although I haven't been doing a lot of horror lately. Uh, and I'm teaching a Hitchcock class, so I'll be throwing out a lot of bunch about Hitchcock this fall. Awesome. Nice. Oh, so nice. that's I I... come sit in on your class. <laughs> I know. I wish I could take that class. That yeah, would we be talked, incredible. We talked about the lodger today, which is silent. Uh, that, Can we it's audit harder. that over Skype? Can we do a podcast where we audit your Hitchcock Are you class? Where you audit my class? <laughs> no, you have to come pay tuition. Uh, <laughs> he's it's a, a business. He's a businessman. The lodger. Right. But but right. it's uh, at Dr. Walking Dead, at Dr. Walking Dead. And uh, the fans have been super supportive. And I don't know what will happen by the time this episode airs, but I'm, I'm at 988 followers. So I'm getting really close to joining that il- il- illustrious 
1K club, so I'm shooting for that right now. Um, I I have a book coming out, but I have yet to see the proofs. Hopefully by the time this airs, it will be proofed. Uh, It is going to be called um, How Zombies Conquered Pop Culture, uh, a new book where I do a bunch of case studies on zombies in media, not just in film. Um, And I am currently co-editing a collection of essays on zombie literature which does not exist yet. So uh, that's something I'm working on. That's right. That's exciting stuff. And um, the listeners will be happy to know, Kyle, that we have finally um, given in. Like we, we had no... <laughs> I'm just kidding when I say that. <laughs> we, we, we did. Uh, we, we had so much feedback from people that they wanted us to cover The Nightmare on Elm Street franchise that's what we're going to be covering in october or halloween and again, that was before Wes craven's passing yeah the fans wanted it and we agreed to it before we knew about this tragic event so i, I feel some sense of pride that we're not just jumping on the bad wagon because i'm sure everybody's going to be covering it this halloween but right yeah well, and the other thing is i i feel like we were kind of um coming to terms with it as of april ish i mean like we were getting people saying okay when are you gonna do because as soon as we finished the friday the 13th stuff they're like okay i want nightmare we want nightmare so yeah that's what we're gonna do we're also gonna be doing some sort of some degree of 31 days of horror for halloween as well which we'll talk about more up and comings but october is gonna be a crazy awesome month for content and just horror love here on this podcast. Right, guys? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. I know you got to get running. We're grateful to have you there. Yeah, I have to get up and teach a class in the morning. Jeez. It's a rough life. (laughs) It is. (laughs) But thanks for having me on. I will try to dip in a little bit on a future podcast, but to let the fans know I'm in full teaching mode, so I'm going to be a little sparse. Uh, through the school year, but I will. My heart will still be with you. All right, <laughs> good. Cool. All right, buddy. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys. Take care. Okay. Well, that just about wraps up episode sixty-seven of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this show. I just want to thank my friends for being here, and turn it over to Doctor Shock to give us any plugs that you might have. Uh, well, it's not changing. I mean, you, you can probably just copy mine from any previous episode if you wanted to uh, <laughs> uh, dvdinfatuation.com uh, my, uh, where I'm uh, reviewing a movie a day uh, at dvdinfatuation on Twitter uh, my, my Facebook page which is dvdinfatuation I just don't have the exact link here but I know it's in the show notes and uh, over in join us on the Land of the Creeps that's the other podcast I do with uh, Greg Amortis uh, Hadfield Hatchet uh, Jesse Robbins and uh, some every now and again special guests on there as well and that's at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com okay thank you and what about you Wolfman Josh podcasting all over the place oftentimes here on Horror Movie Podcast sometimes over at thescifipodcast.com very occasionally still on moviepodcastweekly.com but the main place you can find me is at moviestreamcast.com where I'm talking about new movies currently streaming online Sometimes we hit up horror, sometimes it's thrillers, sometimes it's comedies. We cover all genres at Movie Streamcast. And for those of you who like zombie movies, because we know those are really about interpersonal relationships, 
Um, we are be- we are covering Survivor currently over on Movie Streamcast. So the television show, yes, that's what I'm talking about. The reality television show Survivor. Come over, check that out. It is as cutthroat and as harrowing as almost any horror movie you're going to see. <laughs> well, especially as passionate as you are about the Survivor series. I mean, you I've, I've seen you almost go to fisticuffs with people over that. It's it's serious business, and season 31 is just starting, so everybody should come and watch that live with us. We're going to have a good time discussing that every week, along with our normal podcast, of course, where we're reviewing horror movies and, and all the other good stuff. Well, in a PSA for that, um, just for Josh here, so if any listeners out there have any connections with the Survivor casting process... Josh would be one of the best contestants no, you've no, ever no. had. No, no, no. It's so true. You're being modest. No, no, no. no. That's that. That comes later. I've got. I've got this all worked out. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh, I, I'm, the two people I'm actually trying to get on the show are William Rowan Jr. and Matroid, both from the Sci-Fi Podcast. <laughs> and people who know the show know how well these two guys would do. Um, that's my first goal. I'm training. I'm currently training people to be on Survivor. <laughs> And then are you going to be like on the final season ever? That's my plan. Yeah. Survivor Legends. And take it down. <laughs> Just take them down at the knees. Uh, it's it's all part of a terrible tangled web that I've woven. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the show because of those same reasons that I love zombie movies. It's about human greed and what a person will do to another in the, in the name of self-preservation. And it's Lord of the Flies out on an island, and, and I just love that aspect of it. Nice. Nice. Well, speaking of greed, my plugs would be... <laughs> <That's so great. laughs> Buy a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, buy a damn shirt. No, and, and all, no, we have uh, two different horror movie podcast t-shirts, and Dr. Shock has received his in the mail. Dr. Shock, did you like Absolutely. I thought it was great. And uh, I, I recommend everybody buy one. That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're still taking orders. Uh, way back when I did this thing where I asked people to let us know if they would be interested in buying a, a horror movie podcast t-shirt. And that let me know, you know, kind of how much to order and so forth. And we got a lot of, you know, pretty overwhelming, like people are going to like these shirts. And, and thus far, we've only had a percentage of people ordering them. So, uh, you know, please keep ordering. We love it. And we'll get those out to you. <laughs> Otherwise, these horror shirts are going to be like my CDs, where I have a bunch of coasters around my house of my music. I <laughs> <laughs> should sell those CDs, too. People love that song from the Babadook episode. <laughs> oh, that's nice. No, go. listen, I've, I have seen a lot of feedback on these t-shirts um, on the message boards over at horrormoviepodcast.com and people lo- who have received them love them so they're great they are getting their own good reviews on their own that's good and and i'm, I'm happy to say i mean I'm, I'm i'll probably share this in a lot of other places in our sinister 2 review but it was a, a very proud moment for me i donned my horror movie podcast t-shirt when i went to see sinister 2 and i've I have to admit, I kind of felt like a badass. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying. So, you know, people looked at me, and here's what they knew. They knew I was dead serious about horror movies. 
So if you guys want to be dead serious about horror movies, because I know you are, order a shirt. Otherwise, if you're less serious about horror movies, you can listen to Movie <laughs> Podcast Weekly. We have a bunch of clowns over there. Josh, I don't know if you've been listening to that show lately, but it is more clown car than it ever has been in the world like, like it is it is such a, a circus so it's a lot of fun though we review new yeah. stuff of all genres that are in theaters you know, I had everybody. Ryan uh, Ryan and Andy were both on movie streamcast recently uh, talking about the wet hot American summer movie and television series nice. those guys are so ridiculously funny they crack <laughs> me up and um, I, I just think I think movie podcast weekly is so funny and those guys are just ridiculous <laughs> thank you yeah so that's pretty cool anyway and by the way those geeks the geeks Ryan and his geek cast crew they did a takeover where they hosted movie podcast weekly and we hosted their show and they were hilarious on our show um, the geeks as well so geek cast live podcast if you guys are bored anyway we love your comments get involved in the horror movie podcast community and keep those coming you can comment in the show notes for any episode or you could email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com you can also call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789 and you can find all our episodes that we've ever done ever on this show <laughs> at horrormoviepodcast.com we also have the archives for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. You can subscribe free in iTunes where you can also leave us a review. And you can follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. You can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. All that smut will be linked in the show notes for this episode. And so I think that's it. So on behalf of my friends here, Dr. Shock and Wolfman Josh and Dr. Walking Dead. I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, and we thank you for listening. Join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.